Well, this morning, I have the privilege to bring you a famous text. It's Daniel chapter 3, so if you have your Bibles, please turn there. <clears throat> a couple of years ago, I uh, worked at the Airmen Ministry Center <clears throat> at Davis Monthan. And while there, uh, I preached through the first six chapters of Daniel, which are very applicable to young men and young women with the challenges they deal with. But today we're going to look at those three guys that you know of, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah. Of course, they go by different names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So this is the Word of God. Please give your attention to it. We're going to start at verse 8. The scene is Nebuchadnezzar has set up his golden image, and everybody, everybody is supposed to bow when the music plays. Verse 8, therefore at the time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, bagpipe, and harp, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image I have made. Well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it is usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men, bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, 
True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid to ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promised Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and promoted them in the province of Babylon. Let's take a moment to pray. Jesus, we thank you for this wonderful story which has been passed down over the centuries to your people, to your remnant, to your church. And we would ask once again that it would strengthen your children against the very great temptations we face in this world, that you demand exclusive worship. Lord, help us all to give you exclusive worship. And rejoice in the God who saves. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, we live in a smorgasbord of belief, do we not? Buddhists, Christians, Muslims, Hindus, pagans, all disagree on how salvation is to be attained. For the Buddhists, it's through enlightenment. Through Muslims, it's submission to the law. For Christians, it is through faith in Jesus Christ and submission to God's will. And as a result, due to this smorgasbord, a group of people called pluralists have risen to the top. They argue that no one religion is completely right and no one religion is completely wrong. It seems they would say we all have a, a piece of the puzzle, but no one has the complete puzzle. They reject the idea that any one religion is correct because it's too much, or as they would say, too arrogant for one to say they have it right. And perhaps you've heard of an analogy that they often use. It goes like this. All the different faiths in the world are like a bunch of blind men touching an elephant. One religion says, well, uh, their faith is true, and it's fluid and it's strong as it touches the trunk of an elephant. They feel its muscles, but they also feel how it bends and moves. Another blind man pushes against the side of the elephant, and knowing that it can't move the elephant at all, says its religion is sturdy and strong. It's like a wall. Another blind man might grab its leg and say, well, 
It is, this religion is so sturdy, it's like a pillar. It's what I can build my whole life on. Another blind man just happens to grab the tail and realizes there's not much to it at all. It just kind of flaps there. Well, that's what many pluralists say. And Pastor Tim Keller sort of addresses this issue because many of these pluralists claim that anybody who says their religion is right is quite arrogant. It's quite prideful. I mean, who are they to say their one way is the right way, the true way? But the problem here is that the very person who claims these other religions are arrogant to say their way is right is just as arrogant, or should we say more arrogant, in their understanding. As Keller notes, the person who gives this analogy has one problem. You see, they share the analogy as if they've seen the whole elephant, and nobody else has seen it. They're there to enlighten everybody else what religion is like. No one has it correct. In other words, they say, we've seen the whole elephant. So the problem here is that pluralists have a great problem with seeing which way is right. When there is one way, one true way, and that is through God Almighty. So if we were to bring this pluralistic thinking into Daniel's story here of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what words do you think they would hear as they were being tempted to say, bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's gold image? Perhaps someone might say, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just bow to the statue. Your God knows your heart. Is it really that important? Besides, there are other ways to God other than your own. Or maybe someone might say, you know, you just got this new possession. God just promoted you. And if you, well, go against the king, you'll lose all that opportunity you have now to be used for your God and this kingdom. And if you don't do this, well, will you be able to help your family? Perhaps you'll have better opportunities to minister, to serve God if you just bow. That's the challenge of living in a pluralistic society, is it not? But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego tell us that consecration, not compromise, is the way to blessing and success. So these questions and attitudes were certainly present in the world we live in, as it was in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's. With such complexity, it often clouds our judgment of how we should honor God. But our story shares with us a different way a way in which we should honor God in the midst of a very pluralistic culture. Well, if you are familiar with the gospel or the book of Daniel, we're sort of picking this up mid-story of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's uh, interaction with King Nebuchadnezzar. If you uh, saw chapter 1, chapter 2 as well, uh, there's a problem. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And it troubles him. And in this dream, he wants to know what's going on. And so he invites all his wise men to come forward and tell him what the dream is. But there's one thing. Instead of telling them what the dream is and they give the interpretation, he says, I'm not going to tell you the dream. you got to tell me what I dreamed and what's the interpretation. Well, you can guess what the wise men said. 
What you ask is too hard. This is too difficult. Why, it's out of control. And Daniel is brought before the king as an interpreter of dreams. And he says, let us pray and fast. And he gathers his friends, and they do, and God reveals it to him. And then Daniel shares him the story. And in that answer, he tells Nebuchadnezzar that there is a statue of gold, silver, bronze, I'm sorry, gold, silver, iron, and clay mixed together. And then he says to King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head, the gold of the gold. And I think that's when Nebuchadnezzar stopped listening. Because Daniel goes on to tell him that there's a stone not cut with human hands that hits the statue and destroys it and disintegrates it all over the place. Well, the king got the message, or at least the message he wanted to hear, so he built the statue, right? And he made it full of, uh, covered with gold, and he told everybody that when you hear the music, you should bow down and worship, because obviously I am the gold of the gold, the cream of the cream, the king of kings. You are to worship me. Well, at this same time, there were some other people in the kingdom Chaldeans, did you notice that? Not Babylonians. And as uh, opportunity knocks, they saw their opportunity. You see, these four Jewish boys had gotten promoted positions of authority. And they saw an opportunity here because they knew something about the Jews, right? These Jews wouldn't bow down to this golden image. They wouldn't worship this golden image. So they bring out a charge to take out their competition, correct? And so they say, King Nebuchadnezzar, there are some Jews whom you have set, did you catch that? Whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. You see, these Chaldeans chose their words wisely. They were like arrows to the heart to provoke a reaction, and sure enough, they did. King Nebuchadnezzar rises up with great anger. Who are these guys? Well, he knew who they were. He was the one who promoted them. And I'm sure the king felt a little embarrassed because here's a charge being brought before him in his court, and it's the very guys he just promoted. He was angry. I think he was also angered because his glory was not being worshipped. That's the problem with pride, isn't it? Pride always enjoys being worshipped. And never loves to point out its faults, its brokenness. Well, so King Nebuchadnezzar decides we're going to solve this problem right here and now. It's often what we do in the military. If there's an issue with a troop... The troop comes before the commander or the first sergeant or the chief. Right then, they're going to address the issue quickly and succinctly. And so Nebuchadnezzar asked these three men, Is it true, in verse 13, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, that must have been quite a noise, by the way, If you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. 
But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? A couple of things we should know about Nebuchadnezzar's question. He's not really asking, do I think, uh, their thoughts. What he's wanting is conformity. You will do this. You will bow down. Now, this isn't the first time a question like this has sort of happened in the book of Daniel. If we were to go back to chapter 1 of Daniel, the chief official said to Daniel, I am afraid of the king. Why should you look worse than the others? And Daniel's teaching us how do we interact with a hostile culture. You see, the eunuch was afraid to go against the king's decree, but Daniel and his friends held fast to God's law. Daniel is teaching his readers that God's laws and his ways will always be true, despite what non-believers might think. We should put our faith in them rather than in the world's requirements. Daniel also had a second question in chapter 2. The wise men say, What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the kings except the gods, and they do not live among men. And then King Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? It's obvious no wise man can explain a dream that is not given. But there is a God in heaven, Daniel says, who reveals mysteries. He has shown you, and I will tell you what it is. I believe in chapter 2, Daniel is answering this question and is teaching us that in a pagan culture, we should put our trust in God that is all-knowing and all-powerful. Nothing is too difficult for him, even telling us what a man dreamed. Now Daniel has a third question. King Nebuchadnezzar asks, what God can save you from my hand? In other words, is God big enough to spare his people from the greatest of the pagan kings? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's answer teaches us many things about God, their belief in what God requires from his followers. First, they say, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Did you catch that? Who are they relying on to defend themselves in? They're relying on a God that is completely sovereign, that they recognize is completely over the affairs of all the mankind that defends them against the unseen and also against the seen, against the greatest of the pagan kings, against the cream of the cream, the gold of the gold. What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are teaching us is that God is sovereign and he takes care of his children. Uh, Amber and I have been teaching our kids a children's catechism. It's called the first catechism. Some of you children might know this question and answer. But it goes like this. How is Christ your king? And listen to the answer. Christ rules over me, the world, and Satan, and he defends me. Why do you need Christ to be your king? Because I am weak and helpless. King David saw it this way. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army 
camps against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arises against me, yet I will be confident. What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are teaching us is, Dear King, we serve the one true God. He is our defender. It is he who owe our allegiance to, and we should not bow to your threats. He, not you, is in control, and it is he who defends us. Even though they were a subjugated people, ladies and gentlemen, they did not compromise that God is their king and God is their defender. May I ask you a question this morning? Do you see God as your defender? Are you... Oh, or are you like me? I got to have all my ducks in a row. As we say in the Air Force, I got to protect my six. Now, there's nothing wrong, as Jesus says, to be wise as serpents, yet innocent as doves. But, dear friend, dear brother and sister in Christ, do you trust in the living God to defend you, to protect you, to watch over you? The Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are safe. Brothers and sisters, our God wants us to not fear, but stand securely, confidently under his wings. He watches over us. He is our God and he is our defender. Well, they weren't done with their answer just yet. Verse 13, they say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand. You know, not only do they believe that God is in control, they also believe that God will save them from the king. Did you catch that? They're confident. They're not, well, he might. Their first statement is a statement of confidence. He will save us. He will watch over us. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. God's love is not determined by man's perception, but upon his good grace to his people. You see, these three young men believe God loved them And took him at his word. They believed with faith that God would save them. And at the same time, God demands our obedience no matter what the outcome. You see, these three men whose names are recorded 13 times in this chapter are totally unreservedly committed to God. They say at the end, even if he does not save us. You see, their hope is that he will. But they also know he may not. Because they know God is in complete control. They are so rested in his perfect care. You can almost imagine the peace that they say this with. It's not a statement of arrogance. It's just a resting calmness in God. Even if he does not save, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You see, they're leaving their lives on the altar of God. You know, just as a wife is loyal to her husband when pursued by another or an inferior to be faithful to their superior, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are leaving their lives in God's hands. And even if he does not save them in this life, they know they are his in the life to come. So their trust 
is in their faithful God and Savior, and they leave it in God's hands. Well, when you're in the Air Force, every once in a while you see this action. Usually you don't see it as much as a chaplain because, well, you're a man of God and kind of people are hesitant to show this side of you, but there's things that most military folks know. You don't want to go into the colonel's office when he's angry. And Lord knows Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not want to go in Nebuchadnezzar's palace, his throne room, when he was hot at them. You see, when Nebuchadnezzar heard this, he didn't hear the truth of it. What he heard, this was a, a slap in the face, an arrogant assertion, even though his assertion was what was truly arrogant. And he grows with furious anger. It's like he was hot already, but kind of like Popeye, the lid blew off. Steam was spouting out. You could almost see the spit flying out of his mouth when he's talking to him. He lost all control of his capacity to be uh, in control of the situation. He orders the furnace to be heated seven times its normal level. And so violent was Nebuchadnezzar's demands that even his mighty men, and these were the toughest of the tough, get consumed by the flames. And Nebuchadnezzar peers there with glaring eyes. It's almost like he's in a zoomed in. He's like a, a horse with blinders on. There's only one thing that concerns him. The death of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did they get what they deserve in his mind? And instead he sees something else. He asks, was there not three men we threw in there? But I see four. And you know what? The people around him saw that as well. There's four guys in here. And this one guy, did you catch his image? Even a pagan king gets it right. There's one like the son of the gods. Immediately, Nebuchadnezzar tells these men to get out. You know what's also interesting to note here? Is Nebuchadnezzar only commands three of them to get out and not the fourth. Perhaps the king realized at that point who the true king was in the room. He calls Shadrach and Meshach to come out. And to assist the reader to understand how miraculous the miracle was, Daniel tells us of all the combustible material that's on these three guys that should have been lit up just like that. And there's not even the smell of fire on these men. As a result of the miracle, Nebuchadnezzar praises God for these men's faith. It is Nebuchadnezzar's summary that Daniel answers the question of what true worship is. It is when one is willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except the one true God. What is the result of this for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Are they the heroes of our story? Will they receive the praise of the king? They receive a decree of the king to protect all the people, the Jews, all those who worship the one true God. And lastly, they're promoted to their service. It seems like they are the heroes of our story. And they have great faith for each of us to emulate. Yet at the same time, I think there's someone else we're missing in this whole story if we do not mention him. And that is the God who saves it is the God who enters the fire. It is the God who sees his people and he rushes in and he covers them. 
Consider the parallels of this story in the work of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The great king is angered over the insolence of the breaking of his decree. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rightly honor God, Nebuchadnezzar's wrath seems like a hot iron. He heats the furnace to seven times its normal heat as an expression of his anger. And if Nebuchadnezzar is angered seven times due to those who will not bow at his idol of gold to support his pride, consider the righteous anger of Almighty God, which has no sin towards our acts of rebellion, our inaction to do his will, our works of deceitfulness, maliciousness, and sin. We are told that the fires of hell are not temporary like Nebuchadnezzar's furnace. They continue for all eternity. Each moment is as worse as the moment before, so much so that the one who experiences hell just even longs for a drop of water. Nebuchadnezzar's fire licked up his mighty men. They were mighty in the flesh, and the same will be true of those who do not rely upon God. The fires of hell will consume them. But the same is not true for the children of God. You see, the Son of God, He cannot stand idly by the side of His people. He races into this fire. He reaches in for you and I, dear friend. And He protects us from the wrath we deserve. That is our good God. That is Jesus. You see, Jesus' atonement is so perfect, it's so pure, that nothing harms us. No wrath of God, which we justly deserve, even comes against us. He protects us against us all. And as a result, we're clothed on high, and we get to enter the king's kingdom. Not only... Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get promoted in Babylon. We get promoted to heaven. Did you consider that? That is the goodness of our God. And that's why Jesus says to those two guys on the road to Emmaus, all of Scripture points towards me, ladies and gentlemen. It points towards Jesus Christ. He is the central point, central focus of all of Scripture. Friend, are you covered by Jesus? Are you covered by His righteous robes that no flame can penetrate? Not even the fires of hell? Are you covered with His blood which covers your sin and debt? By by His stripes we are healed. Are you covered by Him? I pray so. Make it so. Ask Him into your life as your Lord and Savior. Plead with Him that He would cover all your debt so that you would be forgiven and free. And for those of you who know this God-man, this Son of the God, will delight in what He's done for us. For those of us who know this phenomenal act of the Son of God to enter into our judgment, I believe it four things. Of course, there's many other things it produces, but four I just came to my mind. Hope, holiness, gratitude, and love. Hope that our God saves the unsavable. There isn't a single one of us that deserve to be saved. Holiness that we honor the God who saves the undeserving. You see, as a result, when, when we realize we've been saved, we, we reorder our life. We say, not my will, but thy will be done. And we want to please him. That leads us into a third one of gratitude that 
Our God who loved us would take the judgment that we deserve. There's a thankfulness in our whole life that when someone talks about the name of Jesus, there's gratitude, there's delight, there's a smile that comes to our face and not a frown. For we know he took what we deserve. And lastly, love. That our God who loves us deserves our imperfect love back as the expression of worship. He wants our love. He wants us to say, Lord, we love you no matter what. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we love you, Lord. We're willing to die for you. We're willing to give up our very positions. And now that must have been tempting to them. They had protected status in a foreign country as alien and strangers, but yet they are willing to give that up because they love their Lord. May that be true of us. May that be true that we utter what King Nebuchadnezzar uh, said there at the end of his, his thing. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. May that be true of us because he is able to rescue us in this way. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Lord, I hope when we're in heaven, we get the privilege to meet these saints of yours who are mighty in faith and yet who are weak in themselves. May that be true of us, that we rely upon the one true God that covers us from the fires of hell. And if there's anyone who's here this morning who isn't sure if the Son of God, the Son of Man, covers them, May they make sure they are, for none of us are promised tomorrow. Each day is a gift from you. And may we ask by faith that you would clothe us, Jesus, with your righteous robes, with your broken body, with your spilt blood, in which there is forgiveness of sins. We thank you, Lord, for your good word, and we give you the praise. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.